Good morning, Salt City Church. Uh, I hope that all of you had an amazing Thanksgiving, and I um, had a good welcome, welcoming to being a Minnesotan as I drove back to our lovely house and found a thick sheet of snow covering everything. And so there's the back driveway as well as the sidewalks. And then, you know, you get back and you're excited. Like, you want to, like, one of the first things I wanted to do is I wanted to check the mail. Like, we've got a bunch of packages coming in. I want to see what we got. And I go out to the mail and I just see written on most of the packages, shovel. And uh, so, got a little memo. I need to step up my game when it comes to shoveling. And so, I worked on that yesterday. Apparently, got to do that again today. But, guys, I'm, I'm adjusting to these Minnesota winters. Um, but guys, my name is Drake. If I haven't met you, I am the director of Salt Company at Salt St. Paul, and I'm so delighted to be here with you this morning as we are wrapping up our series in the book of Galatians. And, and what we've been seeing throughout the entire book of Galatians is that we are being welcomed into a new freedom. That, that is what we are called into, that we are no longer fighting for acceptance and trying to live by all of the rules, nor are we trying to pursue this world for the most joyful life possible, but in a unique way, we find both of those things through the gospel. At the cross of Jesus, we find acceptance for who we are in him, as well as the most joyful life possible that we get to live. And so today, the big idea that I wanna walk through is that we are to walk in step with the Spirit. And I'm excited to unpack this because I think anytime we talk about living by the Spirit or walking in the Spirit, it can seem confusing, like almost like we're trying to learn a new foreign language. Like that seems really great, but also extremely complicated, and I have no idea where to start. But what I love about this passage is that Paul wants to give us an incredibly simple and clear look of what does it look like for us as followers of Christ to walk by the Spirit. And so our first point that we're going to be going over is that we are a new community. Let's look at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so this this old theologian by the name of uh, St. Augustine came up with this phrase to describe the human heart. And the phrase is incurvitus insight. And what that means is that our heart is naturally inclined in on itself. That because of sin, first and foremost, we are concerned with our own self. But what the gospel begins to do is it starts to bend our heart's concern to not be focused so much on ourselves, but on the good of other people. And that we are no longer people seeking to fulfill the law. Because we see throughout the whole book of Galatians that those who attempt to fulfill the law are under a curse. That they are unable to fulfill that, but that Jesus and Christ has done that on our behalf. That he has done that for us. And then we see in this text another type of law. It says that we are now to be a people seeking to fulfill the law of Christ. And at first, you know, you kind of like wonder, what is he speaking about? Is it similar to what he's been speaking about this whole time? What is the law of Christ? Well, he explains that for us back in chapter 5, verse 14, where it says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, that you shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. And so he gives us this direction, uh, this charge to us that anyone who is experiencing any transgressions, that we are to go to them to restore them. And I think this is countercultural to what our society would say because we would say, that sounds like a personal problem. You know, that is something that they are wrestling with and we aren't to be a people that step on their toes or to get in any of their business. But I think he gives us a different direction here. And he, when he says that we are to restore people in a spirit of gentleness, it's actually hitting at two different ditches that we can fall into. So one of them could be that we don't say anything at all. It's like, hey, that's their business. We quote what culture would say. That is their issue. I can't, I can't step in on that situation. In reality, that is selfishness in our own heart. Because if we delighted in them and wanted them to be restored, we would come to them and say, I see what you are wrestling with. I see the struggle that's in your life. And I want there to be so much more for you in Christ. I want you to experience him. Or there's the other side. Maybe some Enneagram 8s in the room just like to challenge people. You want to you wanna confront people in their situation. And what he would say to them is that, or to anyone who wants to confront, not to single out the eights in here, but he would say, I want you to do it in a spirit of gentleness. That if you, the, that if you are spiritual, if you are walking in the fruit of the spirit, you would approach them in gentleness because your heart is that they would be restored. Your heart is that they would be brought back to Jesus. And if you did not have that, you would probably some, want something else out of that, whether that be to just call them out in their situation. So he, he says, no, we need to have a spirit of gentleness when we go to someone. But then he also says another thing to us, that we are to bear the burdens of one another. And I love that it doesn't say, bear the burdens of those who are struggling in your family but rather bear one another's burdens. Because what Paul knows is that all of us are going through a similar thing called life. And if we are walking through life, then we will experience difficulties. And so he says that all of us have these burdens that we are walking with and wrestling with. And it's interesting that it doesn't cause them to say, okay, everyone has their burdens. Everyone has their own issues. Therefore, I don't want to bring mine to them because they've got their own to wrestle with. Like, that's not the direction he goes, but he says, rather, because everyone in this room has burdens, we should walk through that together. If one person is hurting with anxiety or worry, we should come alongside them to restore them. So I don't know about you guys, but over my Thanksgiving, I did a little bit of uh, research on aspen trees. Um, and of course, you can tell it's an aspen by the way it is. We all know that. Um, but another thing that's unique to aspens is that you will look at a picture of aspen trees and you'll just see it as this huge amount of these individual aspen trees that create a forest. But that's actually not true because all of the roots within a community of aspen trees are interlinked to one another. And where that becomes a benefit is that one tree who might be shorter than the rest of them, 
There's a burden placed on that because they are not able to get the sunlight and the nutrients needed in order to grow. And so there's another tree that is taller, that gets all of the sun, that gets all of the rain, that gets all the nutrients needed. And what that tree will do is it'll pump the nutrients through the root system to the one that is in need of it. What Paul is saying is that we are designed as people to bear the burdens of those who need to be bared. We are designed to bear one another's burdens and to restore people to a right perspective, to a right hope. That is how we are wired. We are not wired to do this on our own. And so this is a call for people in this room who are walking through burdens to be honest about them as well. It's a lot of times we can be tempted, like, I don't want to put this on their plate, or what if it shows a weakness of myself? And we'll say what culture says of this is a personal problem. Let me fix this on my own. But what scripture would call us to is to say, let me invite you into my mess. Let me invite you to the junk of my life because I need your help. And those words can be some of the most freeing words we can say in a moment when we are experiencing great burdens. So I want to share with you guys a, something that my wife and I walked through recently that I do this to share how great people in this community have walked with us as we experience this. And so it was about a month and a half ago that my wife and I found out that we had a miscarriage of our first child. And obviously that was an incredibly difficult thing for us to walk through. It was a lot of tears that were shed, but I I wanna share of some of the great stories of people that rallied around us, that came around us in order to restore us to a right perspective, in order to give us hope, to point us back to Jesus. And in some of these examples were people like Jennifer Tuttle and Abby Gonzalez and Hannah Thompson making meals for Paige and I so that we could have more time to process, so that we weren't spending our time making that meal, but we could just talk, how are you doing right now? Are you being reminded of truth that you're walking through? Or people like Dave and Kaylee Hunting, who invited us into their house, made us a meal, and then just sat and asked questions and listened and didn't try to have the right answers. They just said, I don't know what to say, but I'm sorry. Or someone like Drew Brown who asked me to grab a beer in order to talk about, for me to have an environment to talk about what I was going through. Because he just wanted to make sure that I could voice what was going on in my heart. And guys, we felt so loved. We felt so rallied around by our family and reminded of this joyful family that we get to walk through life with, that we don't have to experience these burdens on our own, but we get to do it with you. And this is what we are being called into as a body. This is the freedom that we get to walk into, that we get to experience bearing one another's burdens and the joy that that brings for us to be pointed back to Jesus. That is the amazing reality that the gospel calls us into. That we don't have to have it all together, but we get to walk through it with one another. But if this is so amazing... If this is what we are being called to, why don't we do this all the time with any burden that anyone is experiencing? Is it that the burdens are too much? 
Like, I don't know if I can carry the weight of people in this room or is it that everyone has their own issues so I'm just gonna bear my own by myself? No, the text actually says that the, the reason why we don't is that we think too highly of ourselves. Our second point is that we are the problem. And so verse three says this, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. To walk in step with the spirit is a call for us to analyze our own heart because there's many times in my own week where I get to build, I begin building up that I believe I am somebody, like that I am doing a great job. And though it's never verbalized, we can come to this idea that I'm actually doing pretty well on my own. Like when I think about it, I'm actually pretty impressive. Like I've, I've nailed it with my Bible reading plan this week. I've served the house more than any of my roommates and therefore I begin to feel better about myself. And what happens when that heart begins to curve back in is that we become consumed by that reality that we are great and we take our minds off of the concerns of other people. Because becoming something, as this text says, comes with a pedestal that we want to stand upon and then look down on others. And we start to ask different questions. Like how do others serve me? How do other people inconvenience themselves for my sake? Or how do others bear my burdens? How does my neighbor love me? And I love that he just calls us out and says, you have deceived yourself that don't you remember that you are nothing? So happy holidays to everyone in the room, but that's what the text is bringing us to. <laughs> and so he, if we do a quick refresher of what the scripture describes our own ability to be made right with God, we'll run into things like we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That doesn't sound that great. That we have fallen short of the glory of God or that we were once children's, children of God's wrath like the rest of mankind. That is our greatest attempt to make ourselves into something on our own. What we see in the gospel that only in Jesus are we made righteous. That only Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life to fulfill the law that we could not fulfill on our own and then died on the cross that we deserved, bearing our penalty so that we might be gifted with his righteousness. It's completely by the work of Jesus that we are made right before the Father. And we receive that by faith. It's just a faith that Jesus did what he said he would do. And that is what we bring to the table. And even though we've heard this time and time again, there's other ways that we find to get on that pedestal, isn't there? Like how, how do we justify us having any form of a pedestal when we've heard that gospel narrative? It's when we take our eyes off of God and we begin to evaluate ourselves with something a little bit more comparable to us. We fix our eyes on other broken people. And that is now our means of how I justify who I am. So let's look at verse four. But let each one test his own work 
And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. What does he mean by not in his neighbor? He's calling us away from doing that. What he is saying is that we often find reasons to boast in ourselves by looking at the brokenness of other people. By looking at the struggles that other people are wrestling with and being like, I'm not, I'm not like that, therefore I feel better about myself. The biggest comparison in my life is easily in traffic as say, you know, hypothetically, I was speeding one day and my wife says to me, hey, Drake, you need to slow down. My knee-jerk reaction in that moment is not to hit the brakes. My knee-jerk reaction is, is there someone going faster than me? Because then I can just look and say, no, look, he's going faster. But the funny thing is that in that scenario, I feel better about it. Like, I actually feel comforted that someone else is going faster. But it doesn't change the fact at all that I was speeding. Like, that was still taking place, but what happens is that we can look to something else in order to justify our behavior, and it takes away any change in our life because comparison cripples change. And in our own life, we will look to the lives of other people, we will look to the brokenness of other people and say, I haven't stooped maybe to that level, or I haven't struggled this week like they have, therefore I feel like I am something but then no change takes place because when we take our eyes off of Jesus, when we take our eyes off of the good news of the gospel, we quickly try to run to a new way to justify ourselves. Like one moment I'm walking in the freedom of knowing that I've been adopted by God, that I'm made righteous by Jesus, and the next day or maybe the next hour, I'm asking the question again, how do I measure up? Like I I messed up in this area today. How do I make it right? How do I even those scales? Have I done enough? But Paul wants to remind us that we aren't to spend any of that time trying to justify ourselves in our mind because we have been justified by Jesus. And so there's a lot of our thought that's consumed by, have I done enough? What do I need to do to be better? How do I become a better Christian? How do I have a better standing? Like that consumes so much of my thoughts. And he's saying, we don't need to think about that anymore. But instead, let's fill our minds with something else. Let's begin testing our work. So let's look at that verse again. It says, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And so what is he saying here? He's saying that we are to test our own works, that we are to look at the works we do and we are to spend our thought trying to think of ways that we can love other people and honor God with our lives. Instead of thinking, how can I measure up before God and these people? How can I love other people? So it's calling us to analyze our own heart. Am I doing that? Is there ways that I'm seeking to love other people in this room and honor Jesus with that? And then he says that when we do this, that we will have a reason to boast in ourselves which sounds counterintuitive to what the rest of scripture would say, that we should have no reason to boast but in Jesus alone. So what is he saying here? He's saying that when we do good deeds for the sake of other people and not our own, that we will have a sense of being proud of doing that. 
And so I've jumped into what a majority of you have probably also done in the past couple of weeks because I also signed up for my free trial of Disney+. Plus. And my first movie that I chose to do was an easy one. Remember the Titans, one of the best movies of all time. And so I'm watching this movie and there's this part where Gary Bertier, the golden boy, one of the main characters, approaches his best friend, Ray, who's been hurting the team in different ways. And he says, Ray, you're off the team. And in that moment, Gary is able to feel a rightful sense of proudness, pride, another way to say that, about himself because he wasn't doing it for his own gain. Like, if anything, he, he lost in that. Like, his name, his reputation, his status, his friend was removed, but he did it for the sake of the team. He did it for the sake of other people. And so what Paul is saying is that we are able to be proud of our works when we do it for the sake of other people in this room and not for our own gain. And so if you go home and you shovel your neighbor's driveway as well as your own, you're gonna be like, I'm so glad I did that. Or if you welcome someone into your home and make a meal for them, you could say, that was a great use of my time. Because what is it no longer? The reality is that it's no longer out of this sinful sense of pride where we're trying to tell everyone, look at what I did, or we're comparing to other people, okay, I'm doing more than them, therefore I feel great about myself. But no, we are proud because I pursued someone in love for their sake. And when we analyze our heart and begin to look at those works, we realize that there's no way that we could do that on our own ability but completely by the new heart that Jesus has gifted us with. And that stirs our affections to be grateful for the grace he extends, to be grateful for the new freedom that he gives to us, and so that we can then feel proud about our works because we are operating out of this new life and this new freedom. And so I wanted to ask, what if we as a community stopped asking the question, how do I measure up? How do I make this right? How do I measure up to God and these other people in this room? And what if we started asking, how do I love the other people in this family? How do I care about, how do I bear the burdens of people in my connection group, people who I know are hurting? How do I care for them? If we filled our thoughts with those things, and Paul wants us to see, wants us to see that these good works that we do is going to bring about a great reward. And so our last point is that you reap what you sow. Let's read verse six. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And so it's saying, though we might be able to deceive ourselves, though we know that we are broken in our own sin and be able to convince ourselves that we are good enough on our own, God will not be deceived by that. It's not like God is going to, when we come before God, that we're going to be able to compare it to someone else. Just like if you get pulled over by a cop, if you say, hey, that guy was going faster, probably not going to work. Too well. If it does, let me know. Um, whatever, but what he's wanting to say is that whatever you invest your life in, whatever you begin to sow into your life, that is what you will reap. We will have no other explanation, no other excuse, no other person to blame, but to look at what have we been investing our life into? What have we been sowing? And so 
he gives two options of seeds that we can be sowing. One of them being that we could sow to the flesh, that we could give in to the desires of this world and that we could live and do things that give in to those desires. Or we can sow to the spirit, that we could walk in the fruit of the spirit. And so I wanted to analyze my own life of ways that I'm tempted to give in to the flesh. And, and, and during this time of year, it's always a weird thing because I'm like, I don't think I need that many things. And then people ask me for a Christmas list and I go to Amazon. And I just kind of aimlessly browse like, what do I need? Like, what things do I need to add to my Christmas list? And then I get flooded with all these things that I think I need. And so I'm like, okay, I don't think that I'm gonna be able to get all these things for Christmas. Like, there's, there's more on here that people will be able to buy. So maybe I could convince my wife that I need a little bit of an early birthday gift um, which my birthday is in April, so that doesn't make sense. But I begin on this hunt of like, if I just keep giving in to that desire of greed or that desire of selfishness, what is going to grow in that scenario? More greed and selfishness. If I take my mind off of heavenly things and loving others in this room, those things aren't going to grow more in my heart. And it makes sense. Like what we sow, that we will reap. And I was sitting down with Paige's cousin over the holiday and I was talking to him. He's a farmer, so he just went through the harvesting season. And, you know, he explained everything that goes down. But one thing he didn't say to me was, Drake, the craziest thing happened this year. I, sowed, I, sow, I planted a bunch of bean seeds and all I got was corn. Like, that's all that came. I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know how that came about, but it didn't come out as beans. No, he's like, I planted corn, I got corn. That makes sense to us. Like, that is obvious to us, but when we look at our own life, we get confused when we're not seeing that heart growing because we've been investing in other things. Because when we sow selfishness, or when we sow lust, or when we sow Pride, that is what's going to foster more and more in our heart. And so for us to be a people who begin growing in the fruit of the Spirit, we have to kill these desires. But how do we do that? I, th I think it's obvious from this text that Paul is just saying, start sowing different seeds. That sowing seeds to the Spirit is actually going to grow in us a heart that's more like the fruit of the Spirit. That sowing seeds to the Spirit, there's something incredible that's going to happen. In that moment, we are building up treasures for ourselves that we will enjoy for eternity. That though this world and the joys that it brings waste away 10,000 years from now, we will still be enjoying the heavenly rewards that we earn from loving other people on this earth. And so sowing seeds to the Spirit is simply put by Paul, that we are to do good to one another, that we are to seek first our neighbor, that we are to care about them. And so it's saying, invest your life in an, an acts of love and your heart will follow. Because a lot of us, I think, say, I want to do these things, but I'm not feeling it. Like, my desire's not there, so I'm going to wait till that happens. No, he's saying, first, sow the seed of love and acting good towards people, and your heart will follow in that. 
that once we begin to live a life more like Jesus, that our desires and our heart will be formed, our character will be formed to be more like him as well, that we will begin to enjoy more and more of the freedom that we will have in all of eternity on this earth as we become more and more like him. And so he says, pursue of life of doing this. And he says to everyone, which when I first read that, it sounded a little bit exhausting. Like if you have someone over, you're like, okay, I think I'm good for like a month maybe. And to keep doing that over a lifetime, it seems like it would be draining. But then he says, do not be weary. Because weariness comes when we pull back out the scale and we begin to ask, how am I doing? But he wants to draw our eyes and saying that you are storing up rewards for yourself that are greater than any recognition, than any return could be from this world, and that you are being freed up from this life of pursuing your own vain glory. That this is the joyful life that you are being welcomed into. That you now get to live in a way that you love other people more than yourself. And I think this is important for us to sit in because when we hear that phrase, you reap what you sow, we never really hear the positive side of it. Like it's always heard as you get what you deserved, like you should have saw that coming. But what Paul is showing us that actually if we invest in doing good things for other people, that will bring about great rewards for us in eternity. And then he says, as we have opportunity, And again, at first glance, this sounds like, man, when opportunity comes your way, do good to one another. But he's saying, as we have so much opportunity in this room, look at all the people around us that we can love, that we can even pursue to store up treasures for ourselves, that we can give of ourselves for the sake of someone else. He's saying, look at all the opportunity that we have to follow through and to grow in the fruit of the Spirit and becoming more and more like Christ. Since we have acquired a right standing before God through Jesus, we are brought into a freedom that allows us to take our minds off of ourselves and to engage in the hurt and the burdens of others. And so what does that look like for you this week? Husbands, maybe it's what could you tackle around the house this week? That you're not, being waited, you're not waiting to be asked to do it, You're not seeking any recognition for it, but you're simply going to do it because you love your wife. What would that be? Roommates, what ways could you serve your other roommates and not expect anything in return, not expect them to match what you're doing or any recognition, but that you've been recognized and given reward from Jesus himself. Therefore, you don't need theirs. Connection group members, what is a couple or another person that you could invite over to your house that you could have a meal with and that you could just ask them, how are they doing in their walk with Christ? Are there any burdens that they are walking through that you could bear alongside with them? How could you care for them in that scenario? Family members for the holidays. Is there anyone that, whether it's this past holiday season or coming up to Christmas, that there's something that's extremely difficult for you to be around? And it's extremely difficult for you to, to love them. My question is, what way could you step out and love them this holiday season? Instead of seeking, how can I dodge that relationship or how could I 
maybe avoid that, how could you pursue them in love? Because that's exactly what Christ did on our behalf. And so when we do this, Paul is saying that there is a coming day that we will be given rewards from God that we will cherish for all of eternity, but it's also a way to experience that new freedom that we've been given now, that we've been welcomed into a new life, a new way of living, a, a life of walking in the spirit by doing good to others in the family of Christ. And when we do this, we will begin to look more and more like Jesus to a watching world. Let's pray. Father, I, yeah, I feel in my own heart the temptation, I'm sure even the rest of this day, to try to make myself right, to try to justify my own behavior. But would we in this room just come to the foot of the cross this morning? Would we just realize that it's completely by the blood of Jesus that we are made right and that we get to worship you because of that? Jesus, that is in your name that we are justified. It is in your name that we are able to live in this freedom of loving other people. It's in your name that we've been given a new heart. It's in your name that we worship, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.